Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits, people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the recovery programs that assist those suffering directly or indirectly from addiction to drugs, alcohol, gambling and food. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Today, my guest is a recovering alcoholic, and he'll be sharing his lived experience as a problem drinker, including how Alcoholics Anonymous has helped him and can help other problem drinkers to overcome the impact of alcohol abuse. So welcome to the show, Craig. Hi. Hello, Bill. Uh, Thank you. And everyone, I'm Craig. I'm an alcoholic. So, Craig, we usually start by talking about growing up and the things that influence us. So do you want to talk about, you know, your early life and how life progressed for you? Very normal childhood, um, you know, great family. You know, my first um, experience with the, with things, uh, vices, would have been with cigarettes. You know, noticed adults uh, smoking as a young boy. And, you know, when I hit puberty, it was something that I think we, us young kids, wanted to be like adults. So, we started smoking, Bill, and gosh, it was a terrible experience, but we must have thought it was something in it because we kept trying it and would uh, start with smoking. As I got a little bit older, I would have seen my dad having the uh, occasional scotch, and uh, I think I would have been getting him a few glasses, and I was probably pretty generous as a boy, so he seemed to like me getting... um, a glass of whiskey for him. But um, I think it was probably when I really had a testosterone surge, I had a thought that I'd like to know what it tasted like. So I had a little bit of a taste and had my first experience was filling him some glasses and another friend of his and having a couple of swigs out of the bottle. I ended up... uh, trying to watch the television and was getting all a little bit dizzy. So I got up, told everyone I was going to bed, bumped off the walls as I went into the bedroom and smashed onto the bed. And they obviously realised I'd snuck a couple of drinks in. And all I remember the next morning was I had to go to the Surf Lifesaving Club and my my mum made me do the dishes before I left. And so I didn't really uh, have a very good experience with that. But as boys, we wanted to see what the effects were of alcohol. So we organised a little camping trip and got someone to buy some alcohol and got really pissed. We thought it was exciting. I think one thing we did do, we did a streak, which was a, sort of pretty popular at the time, um, We were lucky to get our clothes back on before we passed out. We ended up extremely sick the next morning and that gave me a good indication of what the effect of getting pissed was like and 
what the after effect of getting pissed was like. And so I didn't really have a lot of problems after that. Uh, even growing up, I had all my work experience was related to alcohol. I worked in a liquor distributor when I was studying. My first job had a big expense account and alcohol and lunches was a big part of it. And that was my whole history. But a lot of drinking, playing football, etc. And I'm a surfer, but never really uh, had a had a major problem with alcohol until my mid fifties. Yeah, can I take you back to being a kid and getting drunk? Did it have any effect on you? Did it make you feel really good? Not really. You know, it it, it had the good experience of um, you'd want to have a good time. You'd be a little bit perhaps braver and um, you'd think you were, you know, sort of enjoying yourself more, bring you out of your shell, but not a major effect, Bill. And um, I didn't feel as though I was searching for an effect from alcohol. Yeah. So obviously you were with friends who enjoyed drinking as well, but it, did it affect your relationships with people? No. No. Not at all, I don't think. Mm. So did you end up going to uni? Yeah, went to uni. Uh, As I said, my dad got us a job in myself and my brother in a liquor distributor. So I remember my brother getting the order for his 21st to fill and it was a well-catered for 21st birthday party. Was he an older brother? Younger brother. So a couple of years younger. I was the eldest in the family. Right, Okay. So did he have the same relationship with alcohol? Yes, yes, um, but he's not an alcoholic. Yeah, right. He didn't turn out to be one yet. No, that's right. We never know, do we? Yeah. So I guess moving forward then, getting a relationship, getting a family and things like that and work. So your drinking didn't impact any of those things. So when did you first, you know, feel the need to use alcohol to try and solve your problems? I'd been working in a very stressful industry, so I had a lot of stress and pressure, but I'd built a very successful career and uh, I made a mistake in my mid-50s. There was a person at work who was having problems with our compliance department. It went on for a number of months, was affecting his work, his He was very stressed, talking about leaving. So being a little bit too full of myself, I decided that I could make a difference and I wrote an email in his support, copied it to the head of compliance and to his bosses. And uh, three months later, I was sacked from a business that I'd made for 20 years. And that caused me huge anxiety and resentment. And I believe, I don't know how it didn't happen, um, but uh, I think I should have had a nervous breakdown. Due to the stress, I decided to seek counselling. I was put on anti-anxiety medication. And due to my anger and my stress, um, I started using alcohol to try and quieten the voice in my head and that just 
developed and then with with COVID, I became, you know, very much dependent upon alcohol. There was some instances where my wife was feeling the effect and worked with my mother and sister to try and get me to address my alcohol consumption. That didn't work. It worked only when I realised that I had become an addict to alcohol and I needed it to get me through the day that I decided that I was sick of that groundhog experience and just surviving and I decided to seek an intervention in my life and booked in to go to a two-week detox course, Bill. Okay. Just to sort of take you back there, so how did your drinking progress? Was it very fast that you went from sort of no, no real drinking to regular sustained drinking? Um, I, I would have been a regular drinker with my job and expense accounts. Um, I'd always been a pretty regular drinker and I would describe myself as, as a heavy drinker. It progressed when... I've just felt so terrible in myself that I needed to quieten myself and have breaks from, you know, all the negative um, thoughts. And it would have progressed, you know, I would have thought slowly, but, you know, other people would probably think quite quickly to a year where I had gone from just regular drinking to drinking up to two bottles of wine a day and starting early in the morning. Yeah. Well, I, I, I felt as though I needed the alcohol to actually work, which is a terrible uh, position to be in. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So were you not working at this point? when your alcohol uh, abuse started uh, getting out of control? No, I was working full-time. You were working full-time, okay. So did it affect your work? Yes, it would have, not dramatically. Um, I'm sure some people felt that I could have been uh, a little bit expressive in my work, but, you know, it was funny, I, I needed it to be able to work, but then I knew towards the end of the day it would affect my work, so I'd be less likely to make telephone calls towards the end of the day. But no one really knew. Yeah. So when your wife and family started trying to address the issue, were you receptive to their requests? Not really. I was ignorant or stupid or selfish where I realised there was some issues that they had with it, but I perhaps thought that I, well, I didn't have an option. I had to keep working. I had a family to support and I had to do it. So um, until I could go into a rehab, I just thought there was no alternative and I had to keep doing what I had to do and probably felt as though I was um, being a little bit of a martyr for the cause as well that you know it's a dirty job but someone's got to do it and 
that's the only way I could do it, Bill, which is sounds all very silly in uh, in hindsight. Yeah, it does, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Often alcoholics talk about the family being between them and the bottle, and you know, really, they just want to push them out of the way because all they want is they want the alcohol. They don't want the they don't want the extra problem of the family. So, how did you actually reach out for help? What was the, what was the process for you? Well, I just knew that I couldn't live my life in that groundhog day and just surviving. So I had no idea I was an alcoholic. I just thought I needed to use alcohol to, to get through each day, but to, to reduce the anxiety and the pressure. And unfortunately, I think the alcohol reduced the effectiveness of the anxiety pills I was on anyway. So uh, I just uh, used the alcohol for that and realised that I didn't want it to, I couldn't continue like that. So I booked into a rehab facility. I thought I was going in for two weeks of just relaxing and chilling out. It ended up being AA boot camp, Bill, Malvern Private. It's classic, isn't it? It really surprised me when after the first day there, I thought, shit, I've gone to the wrong place here. Uh, this is not what I was expecting. They're supposed to help me, not make my life harder. Yeah, exactly. Oh, dear. Well, listen, we might take a short break there.
song was I Love You featuring Yvette Hearn by 32 Bars in 32 Bars. 32 Bars is a five-year, 32-song project from Melbourne composer Mike Morand, and every song is recorded live from a different Melbourne music venue. The song was played courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. From a private life so public As the tabloids caught your tears how sad, how tragic, but it doesn't have to be that way on the Burning Vinyl Alternative Music Program. Burning Vinyl, Fridays, 2 till 4pm on 3CR. You're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then you can head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our webpage, you'll also find details about The Living Free Show and how you can contact us. Today I'm talking with Craig and we're talking about recovering from alcohol abuse with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, so, Craig, before the break, we were talking about going into rehab and you finding it not quite as uh, relaxing and comfortable as, as you'd hoped. So what was it like, you know, when you didn't really think you had an alcohol problem going into a, a rehab facility and having that realisation that there were bigger problems than what you'd imagined? It was really interesting, Bill. I, I got into that. Uh, went through the process. The the counsellors were asking me about childhoods and, you know, what trauma could have, have happened in my life. But as I said, I, it was a big surprise. It was an AA sort of dominated uh, institution. And I immediately felt uncomfortable describing myself in the meetings as Craig and alcoholic. I didn't think I was one. 
But after a day or two, I, I looked at the program and I was getting good, valuable information from the stay there at Malvern Private. There was a lot of, you know, different courses. There was a course, you know, or a session on um, sleep hygiene. And I thought, oh, I had that covered. I have two showers a day. But it was related to uh, the fact that because of alcohol or drugs, your sleeping is impaired. You're not going through the healing process. When I first heard the first prayer, which was the serenity prayer, I thought, gee, that sounds very commonsensical. Uh, I'm sure my life will be a little bit easier if I stop trying to change people. So looked through the program, saw the 12 steps and saw step nine. I thought, gee, that's fantastic. I want to get to there and make amends to everybody. And I never believed I was an alcoholic, but I just saw some good things in the program and and just did the work that was necessary. As I said to you earlier, I think I was voted, well, I would have been voted the person most unlikely to succeed in the program. And I've surprised myself 16 months later, I'm, I'm still in the program. Why do you say you were the most likely to not succeed? What, was, what caused that analysis? Oh, look, I, I think because I was a, a late-stage alcoholic, I didn't believe I had the, uh, you know, I could stop at one drink. I could do sort of, you know, different things to what an average alcoholic, or not an average, but some other alcoholics. There was a head counsellor there. He was very tough on me. And I think he probably was smart enough to maybe think I didn't think I was in a serious enough situation. Um, so uh, I was I was very good at, you know, helping other people, but I'm a terrible person at asking for help myself, always have been, and I just think people would have looked at me and thought, well, this guy doesn't get it. Yeah, I think it's the asking for help bit that's really crucial. Most people get as far as they as they can and exhaust all avenues before they ask for help when really asking for help is you know it's seen as a sign of weakness and in real terms it's, it's actually a, a sign of strength if you can ask for help before you exhaust yourself and, and trying to fix other people's problems is just diverting your attention from yourself so yeah it's a it's a double whammy in real terms I think you're exactly right, and uh, you know maybe it's also my generation, but it's something that I think I'm getting a little bit better at. But uh, it's not something I'm doing a lot. Yeah. So, you know, what what was the first thing that I guess helped you to to understand your situation? Because I was busy at work, I only did the two-week course there, which it's normally a four-week, and they did ask me to do some extra time, but I didn't do it. But I got out of the course and thought, well, I, I don't want to start drinking straight away again. I could have, I believe I have a dependency. And, you know, as I said earlier, I, I started off with uh, smoking. I'm still a, I'm still a smoker. Then I did the drinking and I'm still a drinker. 
And the, the, the person, the counsellor was giving me a hard time. I thought, oh, I'll give him a bit of a hard time. And I asked him to find me a sponsor. So he did do that. And he came up with a sponsor who I called. And I thought, well, I'll just, you know, I'll, maybe it'll help me not to drink for a while if I do the program. And I, I started doing, I rang the sponsor and... I think the counsellor was very smart. He gave me a sponsor or suggested a sponsor that had a lot of academic credibility, was a successful person and had been in the program for, I think, about eight years. And uh, I was willing to listen to what he said. The first thing he said to me was, Craig, I want you to ring me every day. And I said, mate, I don't ring my mother every day. He said, look, it'll just be a minute or two each morning. I want to see what you're up to. And I, then I did that. He said, you know, I want you to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And I said, mate, Buckley's chance. But luckily, because it was Zoom and COVID was happening, I was able to do five meetings in the first five days. And I thought, well, that's not too difficult. So I was doing meetings of a night time and he would ask me each day what meeting I was planning on going to. So I just started doing the program. Uh, I read the book a couple of times, thought I knew all about it. I'm sometimes overconfident, Bill, and but I've very much learnt over the years that the more you know, the more you don't know. So, Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've often heard AA speakers talk about people who are too too intellectual about uh, recovery and, you know, they say there's there's none too dumb but there are those too smart to get the program. You can overanalyze it and once you start doing that, you're sort of, you're locking out the ability to get helped because you become the expert and you know the answers, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sure that's a major problem and I'm sure I suffered from some of that and, and that probably, you know, a major part of the program, of course, is finding spirituality. I've always believed in a universal spirit, karma, coincidence. However, I'd never had an inkling that my universal spirit would want to have communication with me. I thought they'd be way too busy to speak to me. But just by having an open mind at the start, that helped me get into the program. Yeah. And did you sort of understand that it was okay to be an alcoholic, that it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a bad thing to be an alcoholic? It was just like having any other affliction? Uh, yes, and, and, and that was helped with being educated on how alcoholism is a disease, how I became addicted to alcohol. And, you know, I'm, I can be emotionally addicted to other things. I love a couple of coffees in the morning. Um, I love to go surfing. So really learning about it. And I think learning about how negative the disease can be and the drinking can be uh, realizing some of the things that I didn't realize uh, you know how my behavior 
could affect people, how character defects would be magnified by alcohol. Learning about those things was, was very important part of the process of me being willing to see what effect it caused and really then how much energy and desire I wanted to change things, Bill. So how, how did you find dealing with your resentments? Because they're usually about what life has done to you and the, uh, I guess, the it's just not fair. You know, what, what's happened to you is not fair. So did you feel that you were hard done by in life and that caused, you know, the, the resentment against people? Look, I was, you know, it was the resentment that I believed affected me in such a way that, as I said, I nearly had a nervous breakdown um, that was continuing. So uh, it was, you know, a very important step. And, you know, I wanted to race through all the steps. As I said, I saw step nine and I wanted to get there immediately. I think my first sponsor, who I ended up changing, he was a little bit too much, you know, do it by the book. But uh, going through uh, to, to step four, it was a very valuable process for me because able to, you know, put down the resentments and then going through all the work. And then just how it was my interpretation of the events when I was able to see my input to the events it really enabled me to sort of, you know, put them down to experience rather than dwell on them and, you know, end up coming to a position where, uh, as I thought most of the time in my life, even the bad things that happen to me are, are often a blessing in disguise. So I was able to, to work through them and, and that was very valuable. Yeah, I think seeing your own part in the resentment is an important uh, outcome, just understanding that often we make it worse, you know, something happens, but, you know, we have a contribution in, in all of that. We want something that doesn't, that maybe doesn't happen and we try and force things and things get uh, get out of control and we get upset at, that it hasn't gone our way and, and understanding that that's just our, our perspective, I guess. It's not the reality necessarily. And you know, having a resentment against somebody just means that we focus all all our thoughts on the other person and and how to how to even it up instead of just trying to move on. Yeah. Oh well, definitely. And you know, as you would have heard a lot, um, you know, the more you dwell on resentments, um, the worse the other person or the other situation seems, and the better and the more um, unfairly. Uh, done by you've you've become and uh you know i also believe that you know with all the energy the the thought the emotion put into resentments it doesn't leave you energy and emotion you know that space in your in your been to uh, maybe experience the positive things and and you know one of those positive things could be spirituality
yeah, or, or getting close to a, another, allowing another person to be close to you and, you know, dropping that, dropping all those barriers. A hundred percent. Yeah. So were you a, a drinker who hid, hid their drinking or were you open with your drinking? Oh, I, I was terrible. Um, uh, you know, I would, would hide it. My bad drinking, I would definitely hide. I believe that I'm a very honest person, but uh, it's amazing how you can not be dishonest, but not honest at the same time. Um, so uh, if my wife would say, you know, have you been drinking? I'd say, do, do you think I have been? Or, you know, do I look up? Am I staggering? No. Um, yes. And and I was even trying to be careful with it that, you know, I wanted to be able to cook dinner or not make a fool of myself or, you know, if the kids had some friends over. And I would disappear to bed early most nights just so I, you know, wouldn't get into trouble. Um, terrible lifestyle. Yeah, it, it's very isolating. And, you know, the, the family often challenge the alcoholic and it causes arguments, all sorts of things. But people often retreat. I, I remember my dad used to retreat to the garage and have a drink because that was a safe place for him. Anywhere in the house, he could be bailed up and held to account, I guess. Uh, but in the garage, he was pretty safe and could drink. And so, as you started your your process of recovery, did your family seek any help themselves to deal with the issue, or just was it only you? No, my my wife and uh, children. Uh, did experience and my wife is still on Al-Anon so there was um, you know they were affected to a new, to a degree where they needed to seek help too so you know I put them in a terrible position. Yeah I, I, I don't know that's a terrible position because it's um, having come through that it's it's really your decision if you're affected you've got to get help and it's getting help is not a problem, but it's just acknowledging that it's difficult to live in an alcoholic home or a home where an alcoholic exists without some help. And I think families try and do it too much on their own to a large extent and try to deal with the alcoholic problem themselves instead of seeking help. And when seeking help can give them a lot of, you know, can open up the possibilities and they can like the alcoholic recovering, you can sort of see different opportunities that you can have of making the situation less of a problem in your life than just letting it run full. I think you're exactly right. And, um, you know, I think it's wonderful that there is a resource like Alan on then. I, I think it's very needed. And the same with AA. And um, it's probably, it is a shame that I think people use it as a really as a last resource and you know aren't made aware how wonderful it actually is um but i got into it um and now i've uh, seen what i can do um you know i i would be in a counseling session with um a counselor and it was before i knew aa and they'd be asking me um 
you know, I'd mention my drinking problem and they'd say, well, why don't you just not have a drink tonight? And I'd say, well, after a session with you, I feel more like a drink than when I arrived. So that wasn't really a solution for me. And I didn't know that a solution existed, actually, um, until I experienced the, the AA program. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay, listen, we might take another short break there. song was Kiss Me 
by 32 bars in 32 bars, and also was courtesy of the Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And today I'm talking with Craig about recovery from alcohol abuse with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. So, Craig, we talked uh, just before the break about families seeking help and I guess having a supportive environment at home is pretty important to the recovering alcoholic. So what was it like for you you know, coming out of rehab and having people around you who were interested in your well-being and your recovery. It was very important, Bill, when I when I got back from the uh, the two week at the detox centre, or the that uh, I had support from home, and um, that was evident immediately when my I got home and all the alcohol had been removed from the house. So, so that was a good start. I had, uh, you know, a lot of support from the family. I was also doing the day program at Malvern Private, which I didn't like. I felt it, that it didn't focus on me. It focused on sort of group sessions and, and I was ready to, um, to sort of really just do my work. So uh, I started doing the uh, the nighttime meetings. As I said earlier, I wanted to really go through the steps very quickly. And uh, now I'm aware that it's more important to do the work before step nine and making amends than actually making the amends really early. Talk's cheap, as we know. So I, uh, I started doing the work and, and just slowly and... You know, I gave my keys to my universal spirit to start driving me around and, you know, nothing was happening. I wasn't going anywhere. But uh, just slowly but surely, um, I ended up getting a, a second sponsor and then having to go back to step one and two again and three and four. And, you know, I, I've heard an adage that, you know, AA is a bit like a fart that, if you really push it and do it too quickly, it could turn into poo. So I think it's been really good for me to do it in my way that my higher power is doing. My second sponsor really convinced me to get more into the program and not be on its periphery. Wanted me in the first year to have a really good schedule of things that I was doing. Um, one early one morning, my high power got my wife to snore very loudly and it woke me up and gave me a resentment. And I thought maybe I want maybe my high power wants me to do a morning meeting. And I've loved them. So now I do the uh, on awakening meeting every morning at 7:30. It's a 20-minute meeting and it really sets me up for the day. I ended up 
getting a home group and that has been fantastic. I thought Zoom meetings were great. A home group is excellent. And the program has been wonderful to me. It's given me also a, an equation on how I can build my spirituality by just doing a few prayers, going to meetings, suggesting you know, reflection, suggesting meditation. And especially in the first days, the program did give me a lot of spirituality. Um, seeing a younger person progress over really in very quick time and see how they change, that's a huge buzz which has given me a lot of spirituality. But just also going to a meeting, I'm reminded every day or every meeting how this program has affected members and what it has done for members. It is just wonderful. And, and then every day that I contribute to a meeting, I'm almost, you know, confirming what my vows again that, gee, this, this program is wonderful. It is changing my life. Slowly but surely, I look now back, you know, to things of the old Craig versus the new Craig, and there's some very important, subtle, subtle changes. I'm not quite the nuclear reactor that I used to be. Um, I can't believe it. Sometimes I pause. Pause and think. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, isn't that a different way of doing things and as a result of it I'm much less fearful of really ever I was never very scared of much and that's why I could perhaps overreact quite quickly but I'm not even scared to not even react anymore and I don't have to put my two bobs worth in and it just seems a much easier way I've got a lot of things going on at the moment my wife just told me a month ago that we're separating. I'm having to sell a house. I'm having to change my life. And gosh, I'm so happy, you know, thank my lucky stars that I'm in the program. Um, I'm already on to plan J, I think, you know, as I go through the different emotions. But it's going to be so amicable, so important for the future. And I'm going to do such a good job at it. So, yeah, hallelujah for the program, Bill. Yeah, it, it is amazing, is that once you once you respect yourself and your own limitations and understand that you can't solve everything yourself and can't control everything, that by giving other people some respect and respecting their right to you know make decisions and have their own life, that you feel so much better. It's the intermeshed and um, being so dependent on other people that causes so much conflict, you know, internal conflict, I find, yeah. Oh, well, definitely. And, um, I mean, I, I'm still the, you know, I'm still the conductor of my life. But, gee, I, I'm really happy to delegate so many roles out these days. <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, let other people do their work. Let other people have their problems. I can only just do what I can do. 
And that's when I got hope in the program, I think. I think it was after about three months. I just thought to myself, my gosh, where's, where's the anxiety gone? Where's the anger gone? And you notice it pretty quickly when you're driving, Bill, you know, on your feedback to other drivers. Yeah. And it really... You know, you might, I don't often, I'll go a month and I think, gee, I, I really haven't seen anything different. And then I'll look back on a few things and, my, and I'll say, gee, that's a different way of doing things. Gee, I feel better doing it that way than the old way. Um, yeah. You know, good on your program. Thanks, thanks again for another little um, fill-up. Yeah. So you talked about your children. So what's your relationship like now with your kids? Uh, and it, look, it's always been wonderful, but I caused them a lot of worry, I realise, and it is better than ever. I was a late dad at 42 and my life was pretty simple then. I wanted to be a good husband and a good father. Everything else was after that. And I'm a much better father now. Even though we're splitting up, I'm, I feel as though I'm a better husband now too. Um, but things change and, you know, cycles end. So that, that's okay. Yeah, look, it, it's been so good. Um, you know, I've always had the support of my family, you know, my mother and, and sister, et cetera, something they don't have to worry about. I've, I've been very lucky that, I was able to address the problem before, you know, serious damage was done in, in certain areas. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. It's really looking for the for the good, I guess, the, you know, the, the benefit you have. You've been through the experience, but that doesn't mean that the outcome has necessarily got to be bad. It's, uh, it's looking for the opportunities to make it, make sure it doesn't, it doesn't regress. Well, and, and but you know, it's also a huge opportunity to improve. And I think this program would be wonderful for all people, not only people that are drug dependent or psychologically addicted to something. You know, there were character defects that, that I've always had, you know, I, they would have really came out to four in my puberty and really been prominent in my adultery. That's a joke, Bill, actually. I saw Radar say that on. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's part of that 12th step. I really, you know, can see what other people say, that it, it was a blessing in disguise becoming an alcoholic because I've been able to address certain things in my personality which I'm a better person now than even when I was, you know, before an alcoholic. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of people wouldn't see it that way. But, yeah, I, I think a lot of people who've gone through recovery acknowledge that their best, sell, best selves weren't often on display in, in a drinking or, or even, you know, families of alcoholics. I mean, so there's, there's things that I've, I've done, you know, as a resentment to try and get back at my father that they're not proud moments in my life, but they're things that I felt I had to do to try and control the situation. So in difficult situations, our, our best selves often disappear 
and realising, you know, in recovery that there is something good there and that you're actually not such a bad person, you're just diverted. And so things things are not nearly as, as dire and you're not as unlikable or unlovable as you think. And just by opening up to people and being open and honest, things can improve a lot in your life. Oh, well, well, definitely. And, you know, I'm... I had, uh, as I said, I'd, I'd had a lot of, you know, we're all humans, we all make mistakes. The uh, alcoholism, there's not a gene in us that sort of says that you're going to be an alcoholic. However, I'm very sure that alcoholics create alcoholics, you know, through the resentments. And, you know, there's another adage that, um, you know, my children don't listen to what I tell them, but they sure definitely watch me and watch what I do. No, this this is, um, you know, it's not something I'd want to do again, but um, it's definitely something that has made me think, how can I use my experience in a good way and, and hence why I'm speaking to you today. Yeah, and I think that's part of, you know, the. 12-step program is giving back and it's using your experience to help other people recover in the same ways that you have, to let them know that other people have had the same experience, that they're not, they're unique, but they're not terminally unique. They're not such a sad, sorry case that they can't be helped. Oh, well, that's exactly right. And, and, and that's the beauty of the face-to-face meetings. There is no organisation in the world that welcomes and respects people who've stuffed it up and, you know, have had a relapse. There is no group in the world that accepts any people, no matter age, size, shape, whatever, and who want to give them encouragement and help for free. I am blown away every time I think about it how these people in the 1930s came up with such a foolproof program Mm. that's in the right order, that seems to cover off every box that needs to be covered off. I mean, you know, it's gobsmacking how, and it's obvious that it stood the test of time. Yeah. It is just amazing and, um, you know, I'm a little bit disappointed that there is that stigma over AA and perhaps the other A's where, you know, it should be sung from the rafters that this program is available to help where it's needed so badly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it does a lot of good. I know if I start if I start drinking again that it will get to the stage that I will get pissed again and then I don't know then I don't want to be pissed because um, mm. I think I might be pissed more than I want to be so my life is so much better now Bill and I just have to keep reminding myself of that every time I have the urge to drink I just have to remind myself where it will take me mm-hmm. and is it worthwhile having this first drink you know is that glass of wine going to be so nice that I can put everything at risk well so far it hasn't been the case 
And, you know, I've been doing things, going on boys' trips, everyone's drinking. Um, sometimes it's helped at the end of the night when I see how pissed they all are and what fools they're making of themselves. And I think, gee, I'm not doing that. So it's been unbelievable, Bill. And, mm. you know, good on you for spreading the word and immersing yourself in, in, a, in an area that, there is so much problem and damage caused by all of the things that you're helping with. But there is ways which I wasn't aware of, you know, um, two years ago. If you're willing to do the work, there's ways to make things better. And, gosh, I, I view my life a little bit like, um, you know, doing a jigsaw puzzle now that um, the more work I do on the program and myself, the more pieces I seem to be putting in. I do have setbacks, but as long as I don't pick up a drink, I can get back onto the puzzle and I haven't pulled too many, I haven't pulled any pieces out. Yeah, haven't wrecked it. Haven't wrecked it. Um, if anybody would like to find out more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you can find them on 1300 2 or you can go online at aa.org.au for more information and details of local AA meetings. That's about all we've got time for today, so I'd like to thank Craig for sharing his recovery experience with us and talking about how Alcoholics Anonymous has helped him. Thanks, Craig. Thank you, Bill. And anyone that needs help, join AA or one of its affiliate members. It actually works, and I'm, I'm an example. Thank you. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from the family disease of alcoholism and be joined by a member of Alan and Family Groups. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.